Our text for meditation this Pentecost Sunday is on our New Testament reading. Hear the word of our Lord from the book of Acts, the second chapter, beginning in the first verse. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I can't decide if humanity consists mostly of skeptics or mostly airheads. Of course, there is a great mass of people that refuse to believe God's word, and on a certain level, all non-believers suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Without the intervention of the Holy Spirit, no non-Christian will consciously choose to be a believer. But are the majority cynical 
bad faith skeptics, or are they just completely oblivious? With the skeptic type, they refuse to believe no matter how compelling our apologetics, no matter how grand the gospel is in its promises, and no matter how much they have clearly destroyed their lives with sin. It is not because they remain unconvinced. It is because they do not want to believe. They love and worship their sin, and will argue endlessly until God makes a change. I once debated with a skeptic for twelve hours after he came to me and arrogantly claimed I could not demonstrate that there is evidence for Christianity. He claimed that there was no evidence that our Lord Jesus rose from the dead. So I appealed to the Gospels as eyewitness accounts. He then claimed that there was no evidence that the apostles who wrote the New Testament existed. I then cited the apostolic fathers who were trained by the apostles. He then claimed there was no evidence that those men existed, so I appealed to the early church fathers. Then he denied evidence for them too, so I showed him where you can find most of these men's graves. So then he said, there might not be bodies in those graves, and I threw up my hands. I asked him why he would say there is no evidence for the Christian faith, and then reject evidence so effusively. His answer? Well, he simply refused to believe that miracles happen at all. Therefore, all the evidence had to be fake. This skeptic admitted, eventually, that he didn't believe in the truth if the truth disagreed with his worldview. Many such cases. Now, while skeptics like that are truly obnoxious, they might not be the majority. There are certainly people out there who are severely ignorant of what the truth is. Unlike the skeptic, the airhead seems to be incapable of grasping the word when it is preached to them, let alone the presence of our Lord. Now this applies to all believers, as they are incapable of grasping it the way most Christians do. The Holy Spirit has not opened their eyes. But there is a certain type of person who reads the Bible, and he or she is simply unable to rationally perceive the message given by even a single verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. What does this even mean? Who is what? And so they drift. I have interacted with non-believers who asked me what was meant by the doctrine of the Trinity. And no matter how simple or complex my explanation, they could be found the next day claiming that Christians believe in modalism, Arianism, or some other heresy. It's not that these people are stupid, so much as they are under some sort of permanent brain fog until the Holy Spirit lifts the scales from their eyes. Now, please don't get me wrong here, beloved. 
I'm not trumpeting myself as some great thinker or champion of the truth. Lord knows, I was once in the second camp, so obsessed with the various mystical or occult things I studied that there was this mental block keeping me from understanding the word of God. I was a total airhead, a fool that thought himself wise. I could tell you all sorts of things about hermeticism and alchemy, but I had no clue how to articulate the gospel as taught by the Bible. Something so simple as Christ having been delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification was completely beyond my ability to understand. All of us were like that. All of us, before being brought to the faith, were either a bad-faith skeptic or a clueless airhead. If we're being honest, sometimes we still act like that even as believers. In our reading for today, both of these kinds were present as the Holy Spirit began to speak through the apostles. God descends upon these men, gives them tongues of fire, and they begin speaking in all different manner of languages. The multitude of various Jews came from all over the world, as the text says, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, all of these, speaking a dozen or more native languages. Note that both Jews and proselytes are present, meaning that not only could they hear the apostles speaking in their native language, it would be a sight to behold, others near them able to understand as well. A Roman proselyte would hear St. Peter speaking in Latin. Next to him, he would see a Persian Jew, a Parthian, wearing Parthian clothes, hearing the very same apostle speaking in the Arsacid Pahlavi language. At first, they hear the apostles speaking in their own native tongue, and the baffled, clueless mass stands there, mouths gaping. From verse 12, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? Oh, how we are tempted to shout at them. What do you mean, what does this mean? A miracle is taking place, and the men you are hearing were with Jesus. An ounce of common sense would tell you that Jesus was right, and these men are witnessing about him. Their ignorance cannot be excused by the old line that they had just arrived for the Feast of Pentecost. As later in the sermon, St. Peter will hold the whole crowd to account for demanding the death of Christ. This crowd apparently stuck around in Jerusalem after Passover, knowing that Pentecost would only be five or six weeks away. Their ignorance is not excused by any imagined distance traveled for the holiday. Again, they have no excuse. If we're being honest, again, neither do we as believers. 
We can have a hard time paying attention to the text. Such is our fleshly urge to break the third commandment. To this day, there are Pentecostals, a whole denomination who focus on the outward sign of glossolalia as the main thing to celebrate. To this day, there are liberalized Christians who believe the preposterous notion that God was undoing the separation of peoples that started at Babel. Instead of listening to the message that St. Peter gives, they focus on their true God, diversity. I have heard also evangelical sermons about how this is really why you, beloved, should be doing evangelism. These all get it wrong because, like the crowd at Pentecost, they hear what is said, but at first they are unable to listen. But, of course, the skeptics were present as well. From the 13th verse, others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Now, these people knew that a miracle was happening. The sixth verse tells us that the multitude heard the sound of rushing wind, and I imagine at least some had seen the tongues of fire rest upon the disciples as they spoke. They heard them speaking in their own languages and had no good reason to deny that others were hearing different languages. How do they cope with this magnificent sight? by claiming the disciples were drunk. They gave as lame an excuse as a modern skeptic denying evidence for Christianity. Just like modern skeptics, if they were being honest, they would admit that they disregarded what they heard and saw because they did not want to believe. It is the same everywhere today, as you can imagine, even in our churches. I can poke at the Charismatics and Pentecostals all I want, those who obsessively focus on speaking in tongues, but the cessationists are worse. These types, typically of the Baptist persuasion, deny all miracles occurring after the completion of the canon. They do not believe in any glossolalia, they do not believe in modern prophets, and they think all modern miracles are either the work of charlatans or demons. With extremely few, unprincipled exceptions, they also deny the miraculous nature of the sacraments. These men claim to be Christians, and I certainly hope that they are, but their strict denial of everything supernatural tells me that they wish to be deists more than Christians. If they were in Jerusalem on this day, they would be claiming drunkenness as well. If Christians have these problems too, where our sin and ignorance leads us to deny or sidestep the truth, how much worse for non-believers? The whole crowd at Pentecost was full of these people, blinded by skepticism and cluelessness. But then, St. Peter says, Listen. From the 14th verse, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. He shouts out, Hear me! What could pierce the bad faith of the hard-nosed skeptic? 
the proclaimed word. What could clear the mental fog of the oblivious wanderer? The word brought to his ears. If sin is our spiritual illness, then scripture is the medicine which cures us, particularly in hearing it. If I may, permit a tangent. I rejoice to proclaim that our Savior does not require much of us for salvation. He does not want you to get circumcised. He does not demand that you pray five times a day in a certain direction. You do not have to be perfect. Our Lord Jesus never says to you, spend your whole life meditating and starving yourself and maybe I will let you into heaven. No, beloved. All he requires is that you listen, and having listened, that you believe. Faith is as simple as hearing and believing the gospel. Regeneration is as simple as hearing the word and receiving it in your baptism. Receiving forgiveness is as simple as take and eat, take and drink. Behold how St. Peter speaks the gospel to this crowd free of charge. No paywalls, no surcharge, no waiting for a check to clear. He freely received salvation from our Lord Christ. Freely on Pentecost, he passes it along as he was taught. He assures them that no one there is drunk. And then he explains what is happening. A prophecy from the Old Testament is being fulfilled. The prophet Joel spoke of a day when the Holy Spirit would descend upon mankind, and fantastic things would then happen on account of his descent. Oracles, visions, dreams, the very souls of all being opened up to the word. Miracle after miracle, signs in heaven and on earth, the stuff of legend will occur, and no one will be surprised. For our sons and daughters prophesy and foresee and see all this beforehand in their sleep. While St. Peter opens up his sermon in this way, remember, he tells us to listen. His reference to the prophet Joel's oracle is no coincidence, of course, but note that Joel says these signs and the accompanying last day happen after the Holy Spirit comes. His point is not the prophetic utterances that would come from men and women after. His point is that the Holy Spirit is here, now, and this means salvation. If you take the first and last statements in the oracle together, they form a very beautiful statement. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What is the Apostle getting at? In a word, now that the Holy Spirit has arrived, all who call upon the Lord are saved. The Holy Spirit comes and will now be the seal of salvation for all who in faith call upon our God. 
He is not pointing to the spiritual gifts as his central message, and he is not arguing for some supposed undoing of Babel's confusion, nor is he trying to dispel any belief in the supernatural. St. Peter calls the crowd to listen, and his message consists of this. Christ has died for our sins, and now that he has ascended, the Holy Spirit dwells in believers to deliver them into our Savior's loving hands. Beloved, there is only one thing we can do in light of this. Hear and rejoice. Our God has saved us, asking only that we listen and receive, that he may save us and transform us by the renewing of our minds. The Holy Spirit, God himself, comes to us and opens our minds and hearts to accept, understand, and shout for joy in his provisions. May we hear this with gladness and honor our Lord with the life he has in store for us upon so great a deliverance. Now the peace of our Lord, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.